as we interact as neighborhoods and networks as a kingdom, we're going to be walking through these kinds of conversations where we're giving correction and where we're receiving correction, and it'll be clean. And there won't be offense taken, and we're all sharpening one another to be more and more in the image of God. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Well, Stephen, I, I just enjoyed a delicious piece of commentation. I, I, w- I was going to bring that up. Yes, you did. Oh, yeah. And so we had a fun night last night in our home celebrating Purim, which is one of the lesser known to non-Jews, Jewish holidays. Um, but it's pretty fun. We named one of our kids Esther, so we we always make a big deal of that one. I thought and you were going to say that you named one of your kids Hamantashen. <laughs> we named one of our dogs Haman, and then we kicked him <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a joke. Uh, so uh, if you guys have any interest in a holiday that is, my Jewish friends call it the Jewish Halloween. Right. Uh, because one of the traditions is to dress up in costumes. And the reason is because Esther, which is the the book that tells the story of the first Purim. Um, well, not really the first Purim. It, Esther is the book that tells the story of the Jews being saved from annihilation by Queen Esther. Um, that uh, that story is one of the, it is the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. So the tradition is Fascinating that, trivia point. Yeah, the, the Lord was hidden even though he was available in plain sight in the way he worked in that book. Um, he was hidden so the the children dress up in costumes and hide their their identity and things like that for, for Purim. You read the book of uh, Esther three times is the tradition to read it full, fully three times. And then, um, you know, the, the, the hardcore Jews will follow the command to drink enough wine that you cannot tell Mordecai from Haman. Uh, although we don't do that in our home. Right. So, yeah, so it's it's making me think that if guys are starting to wade into the waters of we're wanting to do some, I'm trying to do a little bit of like spiritual leadership in my home, but I'm not a Bible teacher. I don't feel great expounding on scripture. This is like the lowest hanging fruit possible. It's not Passover. It's not even Sukkot. It's this, you know what you got to do? You could dress up and read the book of Esther. You could even, um, you could even go online there's like little um, children's version of Bible stories. I know one website that I that we always like is dltk-kids.com, dltk-kids.com, where they they uh, take a Bible story, they make it kid friendly, so that you cut out all the long descriptions. You just describe the action, um, and you read that with with your kids. Everybody dresses up. And you have a, quote, feast, however you want to run that. And uh, Mark says to drink a little 
adult beverage as a part of it. Sound, sound doable? It's doable. And that's Purim. And Mark also never didn't name any of his children Purim. No, we didn't. That okay. felt like a bad name. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's not as snappy as Esther. Well, I uh, always I always struggle with Purim or Purim. It's like Purina or Purina. I, I think it's Purina, but it's not Purim. It's Purim. Now you've just brought up a wonderful thing. I would like to talk about for a second. For some reason, somehow in in the city of Cincinnati which is really a German stronghold. That's where that's there's a German thing here in Cincinnati. But we have fallen in among a a clatch, if I may use that word, a clatch of Italian families. We are connected to a lot of Italian families that are at our arm's reach. One of these one of these Italian families, the father's named Antonio. Um and he has his daughter's name is you just mentioned it Perina her name is Perina which is that's an Italian name Perina and of course a Perina puppy child <laughs> so of course I am just as soon as he told us his little girl's names I'm just racing to put my hand over my mouth because I want to call her Purina <laughs> like Purina no no you're not supposed to that's not that's not cool you can't you can't say that there's there's all these just there's all these wonderful Italian names around us right across the street, um, right across the street, the three children's name, Lenora, Lenora. Um, there is also Marcella, and Carlo, little baby Carlo. Aren't those great names? Yeah, those are good. Okay, that had nothing well, to do with anything, but it's it's part of my colorful life. I have high hopes this week that people are already sort of settling into whatever it is that they're up to um, and thinking, man, the audio quality seems to be really rich this week. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I hope I hope they are as well. So we still haven't published any episodes that we've recorded on our new gear, and we're hoping that it works. Otherwise, Oh boy. And when we do, the comments are going to come rolling in. People will be so excited. I don't think we allow comments, but we we don't have anywhere to comment. The feels, the feels will happen and we will experience them over the spiritual airwaves. Great. What are we talking about this week? Here's, here's the thing. We, we, we got into these waters of, of eldership. Um, we, we've talked about some of those implications, you know, just simply, we, the, the first thing we did was simply look at the descriptions of what the Bible says, First Timothy 3, uh, reiterated in Titus 1, about what an elder is supposed to be. And we found out, what do you know? These are also great descriptions of a home leader and a father. And we would never say that you got to hit these marks or you're an abject failure. We'd say this is kind of a gold standard of who we want to be. And so um, in the same way that uh, this bears saying that in the same way that when you read the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 20, something, um, when you when you read that list, that is not God 
um, sitting across the table from you with his arms folded going, can you produce some love and joy and peace and patience for me? Because that's what I expect out of you. Love and joy and peace and patience, th- th- that description of the fruits of the Spirit, they're a promise to us that this is what's going to be coming out of your life as you interface with the King of Kings. Because as John 15 tells us, if we abide in him, if we abide in him, all of these wonderful things will happen. There will be all of this fruit that comes out of your life. And so we can look at uh, a list like Galatians 5 and see that, okay, this is what I can expect. I can expect love to come out of me. That's helpful so that when you're kind of walking with God, you might be having a prayer time with him. You see some woman on the corner and you're, I, I had this experience um, this week. I was waiting for my <clears throat> free drink at Starbucks. By the way, Starbucks just, I don't know how this happened or why it happened. It's just God's favor. I, I opened up my app one day to get a, another free drink from Starbucks. And, and, and they, had, they had just given me 2,000 extra stars. Just gave you two. Th- yeah, and they I got do an, that. I got an e- that's that's yeah. a part of the, the sneaky deal with the, the credit card is that it's it's whatever the bonus offer was plus there's a 2000 unexpectedly delightful drop later on well i got that 2000 bonus and of course i think 2 days later i got here's this month's barista pick anyways i was in starbucks getting my getting my free drink and um and you, this wait, and you a, didn't and have a, to pay never it was free absolutely free mark okay just never. i'm just ne- making sure it was a free drink yeah. yeah yeah never never pay yeah i'll throw that in every every chance it makes me very happy to take their free drinks this this uh, two women came in t- into the uh uh starbucks and the mom the older one my heart just went out to this lady and so I didn't have to spend any time wondering, am I a really good guy? Am I just so full of compassion that I deserve, I deserve a venti size of my free drink? No, it's not me being a good guy. It's God making good on his promise that one of the fruits of his spirit living in me is that he's going to produce love in me. He just does it. It's, and so it's good for me to know, oh, there's that list so I can know the things come out. Similarly, it's good for us to be familiar with the list that's in 1 Timothy 3 about what a godly man looks like, not so that we can try to gin up, I know, I'll try to be more whatever. I'll try to be more honest. I'll be more sensible. Good luck. You'll fail at all of that. But if we understand, wait, when God is at work in me, these are things that he will do in me. And I can keep an eye out for them and I can just flag him and go, oh, honesty, integrity. These are things that he loves. Being responsible with money. Oh, these are things that he loves so that I can, you know, just just receive them as they come. I can throw my arms around them and go, this is what God has done in me. So that was a long description to say this is where we've been thus far. And one of the huge things that I want to talk about, because I'm so convinced that it's part of eldership, as God describes it, and I don't care whether you think of that as being in your home or in an organization, this topic is so important. 
I'm convinced, here's my little setup, if I were if I were writing a, a post about this. Matter of fact, that reminds me, as you were talking about Purim, everything and more that you just described about Purim, you wrote an article a couple of years ago on a website I love. It's called abrahamswallet.com. And it had, you, you wrote out everything that you do. You gave people resources, other places they could go. And again, if you're that guy that goes, well, I'm not sure how to do this. Literally, he said, print out this article and then I'll talk you through exactly what to do. You don't have to do, you don't have to know anything yeah. to be, to, to do some spiritual leadership in your home. I got a fun email this morning the, from Peter in Wisconsin, longtime listener, several time caller. But uh, okay, Peter sent that article out to his old office and told them, Wonderful. here's why I'm wearing a costume today. So that was aggressive, but we will. Oh, Peter. Wow. He, he wore a costume to his office on Purim. Yes. And wow. I don't know if it, this is, I don't know the details of Peter's workplace, but I was okay. like, that's, that's a bold move. That's the aggressive that life right there. Move. Does Peter reveal if he's a Jew boy? Um, I don't think Peter has Jewish roots. Uh, okay. I, I've talked no, to him a couple right. times and he is a good guy, but I don't think he's. He's a Jew. All right. Well, bonus points if he was Jewish. No, actually, I'm going to take that back. I'm giving him bonus points for being a, a Gentile, for being the a pagan. What do we, what do they call goyim? For being goyim, <laughs> well, I'm giving him bonus points for that because it takes a lot more Gentile nuts to wear a costume on a Jewish festival into your workplace. Yeah, hey. Yes? I'm giving him bonus points for being a brother. So, um, All right. e- either way, we don't show ethnic partiality here at, at the Abraham's <laughs> Wallet podcast. I maybe I might show a little ethnic partiality. I know you struggle with Jew. it, but I do love the Jew. I know. I'll continue. Um, okay. Um, um, okay, I was saying I, if I was writing that took my mind down the rabbit hole of abrahamswallet.com. If I was writing a post about this, this is, my lead would be something like, I am convinced that, that God's grow-up program is centered around, I've seen this many times in my life, is centered around the issue of conflict and how you handle, not just conflict, um, the, the, this passage is often t- talked about as handling conflict. It's really talking about and because this is how it says it, a brother who sins against you. And I'm convinced that this is the Lord's um, process by which he separates the men from the boys. And it's, it's the Matthew 18 process. The onus is on the man of God to, to walk through these situations. There isn't a doubt in the world that we are in situations like this, or you've been in situations like this. There's no question about that. Uh, There's a verse in Job that says, a man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward from a fire. So there's, I know that there's relational conflict around you. The question is, do you man up when there's, when there's conflict around you? Do you act like a church leader or do you act like, I don't know, some passive weenie that lets the world keep going around you? So 
I, I want to talk about how we as home leaders and men whose spiritual life is in our hands. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a huge kind of theme of, of, of this series is that I want you to recognize that like the spiritual life of your home is in your hands. It's not in your favorite Christian author or podcaster or even, not, not to demean these people at all, I'm one of them, not to demean, demean the people that make the local red brick church house on the corner go. Uh, I, we, I used to say red brick church house. I should say the the hip uh, the the hip uh, um, no ceiling place that looks like a Chipotle. Um, make those people that make that place go. Your spiritual life isn't contingent upon them. Um, it's your responsibility to go. I'm God's man. I'm going to be sowing his word into my life. I'm going to be praying over my family. It's my responsibility to make sure that my family is biblically literate. It's my responsibility to make sure that we know how to pray. It's my responsibility so that by the time my children are, say, 12 years old, they're familiar with laying hands on people. It's my responsibility that prophecy is normalized in my home, that we say, I feel like I feel like I hear God's heart right now that worship is normalized in your home. It's not the worship leader at the Chipotle house. It's your it's your responsibility. Now you don't have to do all of it. I think I hope we've said that. You don't have to be the guy who makes all of this happen, but you have to make sure that that's present in your home. So, um similarly, if we think that I'm the top I I'm the I'm the tip of the spear when it comes to spiritual things in my home, then we have to get into the troubling things. Um, we, we've talked about the struggles of dealing with the, the church organization. There are struggles around what do I do when there's bad doctrine that's coming in through our, our channels, whatever those are. I mean, wife reads a um, wife reads a feminist blog post and then she comes in saying some stuff that, oh, I can go with that. And then she's saying stuff that's a little more extreme. Okay. Where did, where are you getting that stuff? Hold on. Let's, why don't we seek the scriptures about this? Why don't we pray about this? And you go, this is our problem. This is a problem that's come into my home. I'm taking responsibility for it. I'm not calling. Can a minister come and talk to my wife about something? No, you're the guy. You're the guy. So I think we have to get into specifically the whole Matthew 18 conflict thing. And Mark and I have plenty of stories on this on this topic, but I'm going to just start by reading a couple of passages just to lay the I'm going to lay the ground rules biblically. Okay. So there's verses like Colossians 3:13. It says bear with one another, and if there is a complaint that comes against one from another, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Okay, so as we're loving each other as brothers, what, what happens if there is a complaint that comes between brothers? All right, well, let's deal with that. We're going to have to work with that. Jesus says in Luke seventeen three, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That's the, that's the most concise thing of, of what we're about to read from Matthew 18. This is Luke 17, 3. 
Jesus commands, I'll put it, here's an exclamation point at the end of this, so I'll read it like an exclamation point. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. I'll just pause right there and just ask you, brothers, if you would call yourself a brother, a Christian brother of mine, can I just ask, when's the last time that you even gently, kindly, patiently rebuked a brother? It says, if your brother sins. Now, this verse doesn't say if he sins against you. It says if he sins. But you walk with somebody, you're in such close proximity and your heart's connected with a couple of dudes around you that when he loses his temper and goes and throws out some expletives, you put your arm around him and go, hey, man, that's not that's not OK. I, I want to I want to pray with you about that or, or something. You, you just you just raise your hand and go, that was sin. And and. And I know that this can turn into legalism. I know everybody's so worried about what What if we go to the worst extreme? I'm not really worried about the worst extreme. I'm really worried about just our obeying the Bible. And it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. So have I just asked, when's the last time you just told your brother no when he did something, when you knew about sin in his life and you said no? Okay, so th- there's a couple, there's a couple of, there's all there's little decorating verses around this, but but the the guts of this whole issue is Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. It says, "If your brother sins, go and point out his fault just between the two of you." So, if you're familiar with this passage, you know that's step one. You just go to him directly and you just say, "Hey, there there's sin here." If they listen to you, you have won them over. Hooray! But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, that, that, that phrase is a quote from Deuteronomy 19, which says that um, we never just believe one person's testimony over another. We want to have witnesses. So it says, let's go back. There's obviously a conflict here because the, the, the brother who sinned doesn't agree with the rebuker, the corrector. He's like, uh, no, I'm not listening to that. So we're taking another couple of people. We're repeating it. Now, Bob, I came to you last week. I mentioned the you kicking your dog across all the way across the street. It was an incredible kick. I'll give you that. But I told you there was anger and malice and some rage and violence there. You said you didn't want to talk about it. You see that I've brought Sean and Rick with me. I want to ask you again, why'd you kick your dog all the way across the street? So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, and he goes, yeah, I'm shut up about the dog. Get out of my face. Listen to this. If they refuse to listen, that is two times they said, I don't want to hear about it. You tell it to the whole church. Tell it to the church. We can talk about what we think that means, the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Those are not, those are not part of the, they're not part of the club. The tax collector crew and the pagan crew. 
not part of the not part of the family. And it's followed with this, truly I tell you, and this is Jesus endorsing us as we kind of walk through this these murky waters. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to give you spiritual authority to do this. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That verse has got to be in the top ten of the most misused verses in the Bible. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So we're going to sing this song and we know he's here with us. Well, I, I knew he was here there with me before anybody else ever came into the room. This verse is saying where two or three people agree together, Jesus is also there as a witness. He's there to be a witness, a legal witness to say what you guys are establishing here, I endorse it. And the endorsement here obviously is to uh, remove someone from the fellowship like a pagan or tax collector. And Jesus is sitting there giving his thumbs up. So we'll dig into this scenario a little bit more, but just suffice it to say this feel, I feel like I'm reading something from the planet Voltron because so few people ever do this thing. And there's nothing in this passage that would indicate these are for special people. These are for the archbishops to do. No, this is if your brother or sister sins. It's supposed to be super normal for us. So I got to put it out there. I'm looking for men who take the leadership, I would almost say rulership, the leadership of their own lives and their homes in such a way that they're willing to at least try. I mean, everybody makes mistakes doing this, but at least try enacting and obeying this passage. Mark, have you ever seen anybody try doing this around you? Oh, yeah. Um, but it's rare. And I tell you, if you get good at this, uh, well, I want to couch that. We're not interested in being uh, chronic excommunicators in, in our community. No, that's not the goal. And if I would even say, based on my experience, if you start Matthew 18 and 85 to 95% of the time it ends in kicking people out of your community, something's wrong. Uh, right. because, because this is actually the restoration process. And I would say 98% of the time in health, this looks like, Hey, Steven, you were being kind of a fussy little jerk to me yesterday. Right. And you go, man, thanks for telling me. Uh, and you know, there's repentance and times of refreshing ensue. Um, but, um, if you do get to, to the end of Matthew 18, I promise you that people around you will say, you jerk, you unloving, uh, oh, you yes. don't believe, For you sure. don't believe that God can restore. And so you're just going to be oh, up yes. on your high horse. And so I, I'm just warning you, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but doing this and, and doing it faithfully to what the scripture says means people who call themselves Christians are going to set themselves up against you. That's exactly right. And, and you, if you do this godly thing, this obedient act, 
of walking through faithfully and doing these three steps, the one-on-one, take one or two people, tell it to the church, and then the fourth step is cut them off. If you faithfully and carefully and judiciously walk through these four steps, I can guarantee you, you will be called godless, someone who doesn't love the Bible, out of touch with God's spirit, everything, every evil spirit that was at work in this person ever, they will turn on you. Uh, So that's going to happen. And that's why I think this is part of God's process for separating the men from the boys, or, or, or better yet, to grow us up, I should say, because all of your people pleasing uh, reflexes um, w- will be challenged. Um, the fear of man, which is I don't want to upset anybody. What if word gets out? Oh, word will get out. Yeah, word will get out. One is because you have start to bro- you have started to broadcast this story. And then the person, if they don't, if they don't repent, they'll broadcast this story to everybody you ever could imagine. So um, I, I think this, I think one of the reasons this process is so important is because we've talked about the concept of a thick community and it is a, it's a foregone conclusion. You know this already. If you've walked with anybody over decades, which I, I think we're supposed to have a very long standing relationships. If you've walked with anybody for decades, you've stepped on each other's toes and feelings have gotten hurt. You can either just bite your tongue, get on with it, shrug your shoulders, go, well, they, they are how they are. I don't want to cause any ripples. Or you can take that Proverbs 27, 17 um, posture which is as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another and go, I am not, I don't hate you for sinning against me, but we will be talking about the sin that I experienced. And a lot of times I'll also say this, a lot of times when we get in, we actually start down these processes. It doesn't start with someone saying, listen, um, Matthew 18, 15 tells me that if my brother sins, I must come to you and point out your fault. So I'm doing that right now. A lot of times it sounds like, hey, you know what your problem is? And and we get offended. Whoa, I don't like it when somebody says, hey, you know what your problem is? That sentence usually never ends up great. But a lot of times, if you have the humility to listen, they're starting in on, you have sinned against me. And yes, they might even sin against you by the way they bring it up. But we, again, we have to have the humility to just go, okay, I'm willing to listen because if I have sinned against you, that, that's on me. And I want to take responsibility. I want to move past it. But my point is, if we move towards thick community, that is the church isn't just a social club where you see the same people, you say, hi, I don't, you don't have to wear a name tag anymore with me because I know your name. Oh, wow, it's incredible. We were in a small group for four weeks, three years ago. Oh, man, they're, they're great people. No, I'm talking about thick community where we're raising our kids together. We're fighting through what the scriptures mean together. We're praying together. If you're in that kind of a thick community, you are going to run across situations where Matthew 18 comes alive. And as Mark says... What 
95% of the time, if we know the ground rules, when someone brings to us, hey, you've sinned against me, our default, I mean, your knee jerk when somebody brings something to you is going, I'm, I'm about to start the apology. You just finish your sentence on how I sinned against you, and I'll complete my sentence about the apology. Because I know that I sin against people who are close to me. They just have to tell me how. Tell me how you were offended by me. I'll complete the sentence with an apology, and we can proceed in relationship. So I think our understanding Matthew 18 and our working it out has everything to do with how we move forward towards uh, towards the end, towards the end, um, in, in increasingly thick and close communities which God wants us in. I th- that's why I think it's such a present thing, because otherwise people get offended. We do what we've all, all done our whole life. I get offended at you. Now we separate ways, and now I talk about you, and you talk about me, and then we just keep going through our lives, Velcroing together with other people, ripping apart and, and having a track record of hurt relationships instead of having the humility. And I mean that word, even if you're the one who's the rebuker, it takes humility, as I said, to even bring it up to somebody and go, I don't have anything against you, but we got to start working this out. As a rule, we have to understand how mutual correction can work or we're just not going to proceed into maturity relationally. Can you share with us about what what you think it's uh, supposed to look like or how it's worked well? Like I said before, I think when it works well, this is not even a memorable event. Um, I I have found that there's really two extremes of walking through Matthew 18 with people. Either it's step one and total restoration, or... Um, we're going to the end of the road. <laughs> and praise the Lord, I, I think it's almost always step one. So it's as simple as in family. You know, this this is a normal thing for anyone who's married is saying, hey, I don't think you meant it, but this is how I feel like I was treated. Uh, yeah, I felt like you didn't care at all about how I felt the other day or whatever. Um, or my wife to me, <laughs> you know, I wanted you to, to do these things and I, I didn't want to have to tell you yes. and, and now I feel completely like you don't care. Um, wow. Thank you for telling me, uh, l- let me try to do better. Um, and we're, we're generally good. I, I think in terms of even in relatively major sin, uh, I've, said to someone, I've said to a good friend of mine, hey, you're in charge of teaching a, a large group of people. And I don't think you're, you're, I, I think there's a lot of fear of man in the way that you're speaking. And I don't think you're, I, I think you might be afraid to share, share the gospel. Um, and wow, the response could have been like, how dare you? I have so much more training than you. Um, but it wasn't, it was, thanks for telling me I'm going right. to, to try and I'm going to check in with you to see what you think of changes. Um, so this stuff generally, it goes pretty well. Um, right. sometimes it's, Hey, uh, I don't know how to say this to you in a way that's not going to feel pretty jarring, but, um, 
it feels to me like uh, pride is driving the bus right now in your life. And here's some ways that I'm seeing that come out. Uh, I've had that Mm. conversation and the reaction go, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. And I say, okay, okay. And up we go with with more brothers to to have that conversation. My experience, unfortunately maybe there's an exception. It's pretty rare that I've had that response, but when I have, my experience is that coming with two or three other brothers does not uh, lead to, oh, well, if those two guys think it, then I guess I'll change my mind. My experience has been that if we go to two or three, we're going to the end of the line. Um, I don't, obviously it's not a foregone conclusion or we wouldn't be instructed to do it the way that we, we do it. Um, but I think you have to be prepared sure. for, for that. If you're going to walk down that path, my favorite Matthew 18 moment was when I initiated a Matthew 18 and the response, it was actually a group of people that I was talking to. And I said, I think that you, you aren't leading, uh, well here. And it was, uh, in a elder setting, in fact, uh, and the response was, you can't Matthew 18 us because we're going to Matthew 18 you. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, I was like, I don't even know what to say right now. But um, Yikes. It, <laughs> repentance did not flow from that conversation. That's awful. I, you, your observation, I have also found to be totally accurate, which is if somebody's not sensitive to one person, bringing up sin and have the humility and a default towards repentance, they're only going to stiffen their backs when there's three other people doing it. Now, my one exception to that, which I honestly really appreciate this because we can all get it wrong, um, is I I have seen, I have gotten this reaction before, which is I don't really see it the way that you're describing and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure about what you're saying. What if we grabbed two other mutual friends and you say that what you say in front of them, what you just said to me, and if you three are all on the same page, I'll defer just because I'll know that I, I'll know that isn't, this isn't just one person's opinion. Yeah, that's great. Like, that's that I have no problem with that. That's totally fine. And that, and that's great. Um, but as you say, that's not usually what happens when you go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go find a couple people and have this meeting again. Um, I I wanted to throw out an example of when things just work wonderfully. Um, I had a friend years ago who came to me and said, I have a conflict with a with a brother and first corinthians 6 says that we don't take one another to court um is there is there any um board or a mediation council you know of that can judge between us and i had been studying the the structure of the synagogue and the structure at every synagogue is that there is a there is at least a three person judging panel at, at, at every synagogue and 
I had been thinking to myself, oh God, what, why don't we have that? And I, I, I actually don't know of any place that has anything like that. I'm, I know, man, I know there are, there are parachurch mediation organizations, but I was thinking through what kind of people could be on, on that, on that team. I got some Christian brothers who, uh, lawyers and business owners and people who could, they could actually deal with uh, a financial conflict. And so when this came up, I said, I don't know the answer to that, but boy, I, I'd love to pursue that. And he said, would you, would you be willing to head that up? I had said, yes. So I found a couple of guys of, of this quality that I'm describing. These are professionals. These are, these are seasoned uh, people in the Lord. They're not new converts. And they just wanted, they just wanted justice. They just wanted fairness. And so these two guys who are both great believers brought their issue to, to this little board that I threw together and said, we will submit. We'll tell you right on the front end that we'll submit to whatever you guys rule. And now there were a couple of hundred thousand dollars at stake in this conflict. And we took our time. We listened to both sides. We didn't get upset if they if they got emotional. Obviously, there's reason to be emotional about 200 grand. And we gave them a ruling and we knew somebody was going to be disappointed. We, we, we had a couple of meetings. We also had a meeting, just the board people on the side to kind of uh, d- decide what would be our final analysis. And also in the, in our ruling, if you will, we also put in this uh, paper that we wrote for them, some spiritual things that we saw at work. I recommend that you work on bitterness here. I recommend that you work on greed issues. We'd be happy to pray through those with you, et cetera, et cetera, just whatever we were sensing. And then we gave a final uh, number and obviously someone quote lost if you want to put it that way someone lost and somebody had to pay some some dough um and i just have to say i just tell this story because it's encouraging both of these guys said we stick with what we said we 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 have submitted to god working through this group we submit to the ruling of this group those guys they 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 actually through the process, they would, they would like shake hands at every meeting and go like, I, I don't have anything against you. Forgive me for, for, you know, acting like if I ever acted like you were a scoundrel or you were trying to do me wrong. I, I, I don't believe you were trying to do me wrong. You know, these guys prayed with each other. I prayed with them at the end. I was there when the check was handed between them and it was it was awesome and I, and the the guys who were part of that board actually came to me afterward and said this was one of the most encouraging godly processes i've ever been a part of it was it was like it was felt so holy that they, i mean they kept using that word this feels like holy that we're able to do this and man i i wish that happened everywhere and i think again uh, forgive me for that long diatribe I think that kind of thing is supposed to happen all over the place just because we're connected and networked with other household leaders that we know that we can trust. And you're like, I got three guys on my street that live out first Timothy three. I mean, we, I mean, we can, we can judge. I mean, this is what Paul says in first Corinthians six. 
if you guys can judge angels, <clears throat> excuse me, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, if you guys can judge angels, you can you can judge between each other. If you have some some issue between you, why can't you do that? So again, I think of as we um, receive the, the, the congregational scene for what it is, receive that that the organization for what it can do and also not putting undue expectations on that thing and go, there's a lot of things that we're supposed to be doing normally between one another. This is not one of those things that you see normally happening between believers. We always think there has to be somebody very important wearing a big collar. I don't know, wearing a funny wig that makes a judgment. No, that's not what this says. It says, why don't you take a couple of brothers with you? And then you could establish things between the testimony of two or three witnesses. Do you know two or three reasonable um, family leading bros around you? <sighs> I have to say for a lot of my life, the answer would be no. I, I, I don't because the kind of stuff that we talk about here at abrahamswallet.com and all of the stuff that we try that it's been a while. I have to say since, um, since scads of men have thrown their arms around the the church leadership that is expected underneath their own roof. So that's why we bring this up because we it's clear to me that God's intention is that we would be making little mini mini um not not rulers uh, what does he say um little mini ambassadors of the kingdom of God all over the place. And we can cast out a demon if you need that. We can get you physical healing if you need that. We can teach God's word to you. We can rule on conflicts between brothers. We've got this tool belt of leadership that was developed under our own roof because we're doing the kind of things that Mark's described when you go into your wife and going like, there's some, I think there's some sin going on here. I love you, babe. And I'm not trying to destroy you. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to judge you. And I want, and I want to be receptive when you do these things with me. And we start developing these tools so that we can serve the kingdom and all of the other families around us, single people, married people, families, whatever, because we, we see that we have as equal a part in both the responsibility and the authority of meeting out the kingdom of God as anybody else on earth. So all of these things are supposed to be happening under our own roofs. Does that sound um does that sound like super intimidating? No, I think first off, I just want to put a little underline and say you gathered a group of men who are willing to settle effectively what would have been a lawsuit for several hundred thousand dollars. And the result was that both parties ended up closer as brothers at the end of it yep it was awesome and did you guys take this lightly did you just say okay we'll have a couple meetings we'll get together at the church building or at somebody's house and we'll hear the arguments and then we'll kind of talk about it while we're watching the football game was that kind of how it went and then you said we went with you know bill that's (laughs) we decided to go with this guy No, no, it, it was really, uh, it was profound even for those of us whose, whose money wasn't on the line because we felt like, um, 
we felt like the kingdom is kind of being put into our hands here. And so, oh man, there was so much prayer around it. And the, the guy who was a legal guy, he drafted up documents so that we'd be doing everything above board. And we kept minutes of our meetings. We're just trying to be as responsible as we can. And we really wanted justice. We really were praying to God, would you make sure that there's there's no um, prejudice in us in any way as we walk through this? Would you Would you give us pure hearts and no, no, it was it was it was deep and, and heavy and I'll even say because you shared with me a little bit of the details, you guys researched what are the legal things that we need to actually put in place here so that we're not doing anything we shouldn't be doing. It was a big commitment yeah, for right. everybody. And uh it was a success story. I know you've you've tried that a few times and you've had some beautiful stories and a couple uh, not so beautiful stories that, that some clunkers ended up at the end of this passage. So, <laughs> yes, but I indeed. really want to know uh, how you deal with walking out the last couple verses here on the unrepentant brother and and how we okay. how we talk to them because I'll tell you what I keep hearing when I I get okay. I get nods and yes this is important we've got to be willing sure. to confront sin within the body. And yeah, let's let's go all the way and but then at the end, first of off first off, I've never been a part of a community where anyone faithfully stood up and said in front of a group of people or in a home church meeting even, Hey everybody, I hate that we have to do this, but we gotta tell you what's going on with Steven over here. Um Yeah. I haven't ever seen that. And when I ask why, um and often I've seen people who leadership have churches have told me, well, we walk, walked through Matthew 18, and then I see that person sitting in the stands. Um, or I, I, I maybe don't because they're ticked off that they got their hand slapped. Um, but I hear, oh, we went to dinner with this person last week. And I have confronted that in the past. And what I get told most commonly is, Hey, it says treat them like an outsider. So, what do we want for outsiders? Well, we want them to be saved. So, we're just going to we're going to love them Yikes. even more than ever uh now because we want them to be saved because the whole point of this is is their soul is at risk. And and I do agree with that. Um I don't think people's heart is to disobey or find a loophole, but that's really common around my city, Salt Lake City, and it's not it's, I'm not talking about one situation or one scenario. I have seen this specific response to the end of Matthew 18 over and over where people say, I don't think I'm supposed to actually dissociate from this person. I think I'm supposed to just keep in mind that I'm dealing with an outsider and treat them like I would my coworker who doesn't know Jesus. Yeah, that's wrong. They're wrong. So... The end of this is um, if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, um, <laughs> if you have never done this, let me tell you something. That fourth meeting is hard to get. Hard to get that one put on the calendar. Hey, Bob, I noticed that uh, the three meetings that we had, you said no to all of those. And then remember when I published your sin to the whole church? And then you didn't want to listen to the church. Could we get together for coffee for 15 minutes? Probably, it's probably a hard date to get. So what I have done in the past is show up at their house and knock on the door. 
If you think that's a fun meeting, you're wrong. And you go in there and you just go, we've walked through these steps with you. Um, I just want you to know that I will continue to tell people about what you've done and warn them against being in relationship with you. And you should know that if at any point God does what I'm asking him to do and you agree and let him do this and repentance is produced in your heart, I am here. I'm all ears. I'm happy to receive you back. Just needed to tell you that. And then you duck, you know, you, you duck because of the dishes that are going to be thrown at your face. Um, so I, I have done that. Um, and clearly what the, so if you walk through that, that person who's just read the passage, whose sin you have broadcast as sin, as unacceptable sin to the whole church. So to me, that means I have tried to do the work and I, 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 I try to find out everybody that they're spiritually connected. Uh, if that if that bling happens, I'll say say it again. I try to do the work of finding everybody that they're spiritually connected to. Everybody in a small group, everybody who deals with them professionally, who's who I know is a Christian, etc. I round up all of those people and lay it all out to them. And we've walked through this step because Matthew 18. And then I took these two people and then we've done this thing. They are unrepentant. They are loyal to their sin instead of into humility and repentance. I try to make it pretty uh, strongly worded and say, here's what's going on. Please. And my move has been, and this is with the counsel of others, we're going to give this one month. So here we are telling it to the church. I'm begging everyone to lean on this person and push them toward repentance because we will walk all the way through Matthew 18, which isn't fun, everyone. This process, nothing about this process is fun once the person says they're not going to repent. Then you go back to those same people. This person has not repented. We are all to treat this person as if they are not part of the fellowship. Okay, so if you're telling me that anyone walks through that process, I won't repent, I won't repent, I won't repent. You broadcast to everybody I know who calls himself a Christian, part of my spiritual community. You told them to have nothing to do with me. Hey, do you guys want to go to dinner after that? I'm going, I don't know that you walk through Matthew 18 because you don't end up pals with those people and they are not part of the fellowship after that happens. So, of course, I mean, I think of our 3,000 person auditorium. Of course, if they wanted to, they could sneak in the back and watch the show and nobody's going to know. They're not going to be kicked out at the door. But if everyone in their spiritual community has agreed with this process, which is clearly laid out here, and we all go, geez, yeah, you, you haven't repented here. Yeah, we're supposed to, you're not part of the crew anymore i i just question whether that was done because the the doors to those relationships are supposed to be slammed shut and i and the, the everybody around them is supposed to say i'm sorry you can't be part of our small group until you correct that thing with that other guy remember that thing 
the first time I ever saw this, and I'll, I'll let you talk right after this, but the first time I ever saw this was when I was in college. I lived in Nashville. I was part of an awesome church um, um, called Belmont Church underneath uh, Don Finto's leadership. And I, as I was a, as I was part of that church in college, I got a letter in the mail one day. It was on Belmont letterhead, and it described, here is a guy, named him. We have walked through the steps of Matthew 18. He is considering divorcing his wife. He has been unrepentant all along the way. He is, he is saying he will proceed with the divorce. We want to encourage every single one of you not to have him in your home, not to eat a meal with him, and not to pray with him or do anything whereby he would think that he's your Christian brother. Your move is to only send him back to leadership in repentance. So he's supposed to get the ice-cold treatment from everyone in his community. Because until you get this straightened out, until there's repentance here, we can have nothing to do with you. That's how the, That's how this thing is drawn up. And if that is working right, I can't imagine someone being like, oh, well, we had that little fallout, but you guys want to go get coffee? That ain't happening. So that that brother or sister that's kind of decided to thumb their nose at this whole process, um, they they enter a different category of uh, ways that we're hoping the gospel can pierce through their thick skulls. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're not hoping that there's one of many ways that perhaps the Lord will get their attention. No, there's one thing we're looking for. One thing. Repentance. That's what's mentioned in this passage. Let me start at the first verse. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And going back to what uh, 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 a review of this or a different version of this that's in Luke 17, Jesus's line in Luke 17 was, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, I'll just say one quick word about that is that you you can in your heart release unforgiveness even towards people who don't who don't ask for forgiveness. So like your dead grandmother who was cruel to you as a child, you can forgive her even if she doesn't repent or ask for forgiveness. You can forgive people. But in this in this Luke 17 when Jesus says if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him he's talking about restoring him to fellowship and this sin let's say let's go back to the example i had in Nashville this divorce thing that was hanging over this guy that he was sinfully moving toward divorce he had met with all sorts of church leaders he was moving toward it that issue alone has to be resolved or he cannot be in fellowship So you can't go, well, he came along to our thing and he wants to talk about the Bible. And yeah, he wants to talk about that Bible. You know why? Because he wants to feel like he can still be part of the family and he can talk about anything except his sin. And you guys will, I know you guys are saying you're so loving. We're not going to deal with my sin, which is unrepentant sin before God, but uh, I don't want to make any severe statements, but I can tell you, I'll tell you this, unrepentant sin 
That's the only dangerous sin in your life is unrepentant sin. And people want to snuggle up against us. Why? Because we represent God to them. We're the one that has spoken any kind of judgment to them. And they feel spiritually the stigma and the pain of being separated from spiritual community because we've obediently and hopefully without malice. You have to, by the way, you have to forgive somebody in your heart before you ever take step one of Matthew 18. There, there can't be personal animus involved. It can't be, you owe me something and I'm mad at you. It, you have to have forgiven them and released them and then go to them and go like, there's a problem on you. There's a problem for you in this. There, there's something happening in you. And I'm just trying to serve you by telling you there's, you are sucking on poison. I'm trying to serve you in that. Yes. So in our, in our, in this process, you represent to them God's judgments right? You re- this community that's saying, no, you can't stay in um, intimacy with us as if everything's spiritually okay, because it's not, you represent the judgments of God to them. And so that issue, that one issue must be dealt with. And we can't act like, well, there's 99% of it that's okay. It's not okay because there's a place where there's unrepentance in their life and you know about it and you're on the hook for it. And actually the whole community is on it. God is the same way with us. If you've been walking with him for any amount of time, you know that he's, yeah, he's really cool with, with the fact that 99% of you is given over to him. You know what he's going to pester you about forever? That 1%. You, know, you don't obey me in this thing. And he is either going to pester you and pester you on that, or you're going to tell him no so many times and your heart will become callous. And I go, well, we're not talking. I guess we're not talking about that anymore. And his voice will become silent. This is what we see all the time ministering to guys around pornography. It's become so normal to them. They say no, 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 no in their minds as God convicts them of sin. And they won't confess it. They won't just get some, just some good old fashioned I confess my sin and a brother prays for me and says, you're forgiven and we can walk together and go, hey, we're all broken here. We just want to walk in openness. But they say, no, 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 no. And then suddenly they find themselves where I don't even know where God is in my life. I can't hear his voice anymore. That's because he, he, his judgments are a gift to us. And Matthew 18 is a version of him expressing judgments. And we don't have the option of saying, well, we... We lost it on that one. Let's just see. You know, there's a lot to love about this guy. No, we don't get to do that. Matthew 18 clearly says we all have to join arms. We have to be this united front and go like, we love you so much that we cannot act like this one act of unrepentant sin, which is an impediment between you and God, is not there and that we can continue in a relationship with you. We can't, not according to these passages. Well, that's a lot. I think what would be wise is if we left this this home episode uh, right there and then we came back next week yep. and we would talk through, okay, how do the instructions about eldership relate to my money in any way? Oh, man. And so I think we should do that. Let's bid the the gentlemen and the the ladies that lurk in yes. the corners of our, yes. our audience goodbye and catch up with them next week for an episode that will kind of be a money episode but uh we're going to continue
Okay. Well, I, I have to say, this has been so heavy here. I, f- I feel like I've been ranting. So we might need some ominous, ominous uh, music cue in here. I would, li- I would just like to end it a little bit lighter because I, I was ending with, no, no, it can't be that way. I, I just want to, to say once again that when, when the scriptures say that we are his ambassadors... And, and we have this um, post, which I'd love for you to read if you haven't already on um, abrahamswallet.com. I'd love for you to read a post called Every Home and Outpost. And in there, we just describe that God's intention is that his government would exist in every home. And, and his intention is that we would be his ambassadors in our home. And of course, there is authority and responsibility that goes with that. And even though this is a ominous subject, and it, I know that we get a little bit nervous about thinking, oh, Pop, if I had to go to somebody and tell them their sin, it wouldn't go good. And then my relationships would be on the line. I just want to say again, I, I envision a world. And I know it's coming, by the way, because Jesus is going to come back for a purified bride in shining white linens. And I know that it's going to happen, but I, I can see this world where every home is ruled with such clean um, activity of the kingdom of God in their home and judgments given without offense in those homes that as we interact intra-homes and as we interact as neighborhoods and networks as a kingdom, we're going to be walking through these kinds of um conversations where we're giving correction and where we're receiving correction and it'll be clean and there won't be offense taken and we're all sharpening one another to be more and more in the image of God. So my guess is that we've been talking about these things. If you've made it this far, you have considered relationships in your life where you know there's sin and you know that you're one of the few people who are aware of it and you know that the loving thing to do with your brother is to figure out a way by God's grace that you can bring it up and talk about it. I just want to bless you if that's you. I bless you with courage and I bless you with grace so that you will speak truth. We've got to speak truth, but you'll speak it in love and that God's spirit will tell you in the moment how you're supposed to speak without without uh, shading any of the corners, without without um, demurring, without blurring what it is that you have to say, but to do it in a way that's easily received by the important men in your life. Uh, maybe it's a child that you need to have a conversation with. Whatever it is, I just bless you with courage and grace to walk through these things. These are not easy waters, and sadly, our examples are few of people who do this well. But by God, we're going to do it because God's made us to be like Abraham, and we're going we're gonna to lead a generation of people who will do this and take their responsibility in God. So that's my, that's my closing word. So thank you for the bonus time to say that. So anyways, yes, Mark. We do look forward to you talking about money as being an elder in our home. All right. We'll do it next week. Great. Uh, For now, I'm Mark Parrott, and this is Abraham's Wallet. Thank you so much. I'm Steve Emanuel. Have a great one, everybody. Bye.